Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we are wrapping up our discussion of The Magician Season 2, talking about what our favorite aspects of the season were. Our first segment for this, our favorite magic moments from the season. What were yours? Well, moments of magic. Yes, of course. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, there were so many different really cool magical spells, Mm -hmm. potions, all of that this season. A small one is when, I mean, I don't love the episode necessarily, uh, the cheat day episode Mm. with Quentin and Emily Greenstreet, but her spell to enchant the lips to blow smoke in cool designs and patterns and stuff like that is pretty cool. Not that it's good to smoke, kids. (laughs) (laughs) Also quite early on in, in the season, the whole search for the Rhinoman Ultra spell mm. that they did was just so cool to see Margot and Dean Fogg at the card catalog yeah. <laughs> in the library searching for anything. Something about pixie tricks. And then you have Penny and Professor Sunderland doing whatever the mathematical equation spells were. And then you have the anagram ones as well. So yeah, just like cool magic to just see all of these different ways of searching for something. Or like solving riddles or solving Mm -hmm. problems. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, super fun. And also like we talked about more recently with the potion that renders a person not able to harm themselves, I think is really interesting idea and a really cool potion. Yeah, I was thinking about that one too. Not only I think it's a great idea for a potion, but it kind of brings up the concept of magical mental health potions. Mm Mm-hmm. Ways that that can be utilized in beneficial ways. Obviously, it also opens the door for really awful things that you could Mm -hmm. probably do with potions. But the benefits of that, yeah, are, are really interesting. And it kind of makes me think again of Fogg's first episode comment about how we, we try not to medicate ourselves. And yet this is a medication that clearly can be very beneficial for people. You know, it just is a magical medication. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, is that actually more accepted uh in break bills i don't know but i would hope so at least that that at least you could get access to that without being shamed or what have you totally i would love to have a potion that was that would render people unable to hurt others Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then you just pour that into all the water supplies everywhere yeah you don't necessarily get world peace because there are a lot of different types of violence, but you get a lot closer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, yeah, that would be wonderful. Totally. But yeah, so th- those were some of my favorite moments mm. of magic this season. Well, I'm 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 leaving one for you Thanks. that yes, would be in mind too. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the first one that comes to mind is the viewfinder. Exactly. Right. The Being able to sight. see through time to see into the past tied to a geographic location we talked a lot about it that episode but still it's just like such a cool idea such a great way of of visually representing 
looking at the past, uh, you know, which is great for a TV show, obviously, which is a visual medium, but it also, yeah, can just teach you so much about what happened in the past and opens up so many doors. I just find it fascinating and compelling and I want one. Mm-hmm, exactly. Of all of the magic this season that I would want most, it'd be that besides obviously traveling. I also thought it was cool, even though it hasn't really been brought up since, but the wooden shoulder that mm. the centaurs gave to Quentin, I think is just, yeah, a, a cool idea of how their healing magic might work. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I wish the show would, would do more with that, actually, uh, which I think the book does better. But yeah, that that was definitely something that came to mind. And then... Finally, just the continued use of lighting to show the brownouts, the magical brownouts this mm. season, I think were really interesting. Always kind of very captivating for me of seeing whether it be the lights in the castle or the mushrooms or whatever else it might be. You know, the glow changes to show that magic is running out or is is not functioning um yeah i think again just a great visual representation of that idea totally also another one that should be mentioned is elliot's disco ball that he created yes absolutely that is an excellent weapon (laughs) so good so whimsical yes so elliot Mm -hmm. yeah 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 (laughs) Why hurt people when you can have them dance off? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay, well then let's head into our next segment, our narrative threads. What are some of the interesting threads that you saw happening throughout the season? Yeah, we've talked about some, obviously, along the way. Mm-hmm. and But one that we haven't talked about quite as much, but I think was really put forward at the very beginning of the season when Quentin and Penny were talking to the white lady. Mm -hmm. And she said, how much do you have to lose until you're no longer yourself? Mm. And I think that that is a really big theme in this season. You know, she's talking to Quentin, whose shoulder, like you're mentioning, was rebuilt by wood and then just painted over so that... It looks like human skin, even though that part isn't. But we also have that theme going with so many characters. We have it with Julia. Obviously, we have it with Alice. Mm -hmm. We have Elliot for a while really struggling with his role in a place where and in circumstances where he's really not able to be himself. Yeah. He feels like he's lost part of his identity by not being able to be back on Earth. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Or, you know, by being forced into a marriage with a woman. Yeah. You know, all, uh, many, many different aspects. And then you have Margot at the end, she has lost an eye. And so I think that it, throughout this season, all of our main cast really are losing things or people or abilities. And yeah, I mean, Penny loses his hands and his access to and magic. His magic yeah. Right? Yeah. So you have so much with people 
to varying degrees, still feeling like themselves or other people seeing them as themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Like when Penny was arguing with Katie after Julia Without a Shade had pushed Quentin outside of the wards into Reynard and tried to force him to let Alice go. Penny says, that's not Julia. Even she knows that. Mm -hmm. You're the only one who seems not to get that. And so there's the piece where how much do you have to lose until you're no longer yourself and you being aware you're no longer yourself, like Alice is. And then there's also other people's views on if you are yourself based off of their past interactions with you and experiences where... Katie was trying to hold on to, no, this is still Julia. She's just a little different. And someone like Penny looks at her and is like, that's not at all the same person. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Reynard coming in and his relationship with Gaines also, Mm. his conversation that he had with him saying that, I put a tiny black spot on her soul and she scrubbed at it so much she put a hole in it. She can never go back now, neither can you. Yeah. And this is after he killed Gaines's wife. And Gaines also knows that he's been unconsciously manipulating people his entire life. So who he thought he was is not who he is. Mm -hmm. And losing all of his relationships that he thought were authentic and realizing that they're not is also losing a huge part of yourself is gains himself if his view of himself is now completely different yeah and so when gains talks to julia he says that reynard thinks he broke you that there's no coming back from what he did do you think that's true and julia said i hope not and Gaines said, well, whatever happens, don't let him be right. Mm-hmm. I really like their conversations because they're both struggling with Reynard and what he's done to them. And also the reality of some of their own choices and things that they've lost. Um, then Julia decides and tries to still do the right thing and constantly be thinking about what is the right thing to do. And not just act out of impulse based off of what she wants, but really trying to take time to consider and course correct, even Mm -hmm. in her communication with others, to be more sensitive to others in ways maybe she doesn't feel, but she can understand is what she wants. Yeah. You know, can you have a conscience that's not your initial original conscience, but is either based off of logic or based off of trust in someone else. Like when she asked Katie, you know, Mm -hmm. it's something that is, yeah, it's not that original element, but it's something that takes the place of it. And, you know, if it reaches a similar ultimate conclusion, that's, that's, I think a, a really great adaptation. Yeah, absolutely. And I also love that with Julia, even though she fights to, be herself and um like she told katie Mm -hmm. that with the right help i can do good i just have a missing chip and you can be my missing chip and tell me when to tap on the brakes and so she is like no i can still be me sure i'm different than i was before but 
with the help of, and support of those around me, I can still try to do good in the world. Mm-hmm. And yet her, and you know, her decision to not bring her own shade back, bringing Alice's shade instead, saying like, I don't need mine. I can survive without this. I can be okay without this. Yet it's not just like this, linear trajectory because then when she's finally confronts Persephone she's saying that I'd be sobbing and telling you every detail but I lost my shade in an abortion so you're just gonna have to take my word for it I lost my friends I lost everything he turned me into a monster Mm. and so even after she decides I can still be a good person. I just have a missing chip. It's not just like, oh, and now this is how I always feel all the time. Yeah. But she still feels remorse or thinks remorse uh, about the tree genocide she caused Mm -hmm. and, you know, other things that she's done that are immoral. And yet, Persephone says, no, you're a survivor and you are still capable of mercy. Don't let him rob you of that. And so, yeah, I think her in particular, Julia, is really interesting look at this idea of how much do you have to lose to still be yourself. And then when she's reunited with her shade, you know, it's giving her panic attacks. Mm. She's not able to function at the time because of the intense trauma and flashbacks and, you know, everything that she's experiencing. And so, yeah, it's just, it's, I think, a really interesting look at that sort of question. And then it's something that I think will continue on because at the end of the season, everyone loses magic. Yeah. And so what Penny has been dealing with literally the entire season, like from the the episode one (laughs) till now, he does not have magic. All he can do is be a traveler because that's intrinsically part of him Mm -hmm. in, in the way that he's not like fully human. He is a traveler and his magic is innate in a way that doesn't draw from the wellspring unlike Niffins, right? Because Friar Joseph shows up and he's like, I'm disappearing, essentially. But other magical creatures, vampires, unicorns, you know, these other creatures aren't losing their magic because they're innately magical. Mm -hmm. So it's great. Yay, he can still travel. But he hasn't been able to do magic that he's learned the entire season and so like he's been dealing with that and now everyone else well besides julia (laughs) Mm -hmm. sort of is going to be in that position of who are you without magic are you still the same person yeah and i mean that goes back to julia's conflict in the first season of feeling Mm. like she's had her life taken away from her by being denied magic and you know, not at that point going on to go to law school or, you know, do other kinds of ways of finding a life without magic. That is what she sees as her life. And, um, she struggles with not having that. Um, 
And so, yeah, seeing how everyone else is going to have to struggle with that is going to be very, very interesting, particularly because, yeah, the little that we have seen, Julia seems to be the healthiest in coming to terms with it mm-hmm. uh, because she's already had to deal with that that struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think Alice is also an interesting look at this mm. because she chose to turn into a Niffin and was like, so I have to be a Niffin, but I can't even be a Niffin because mm-hmm. she was trapped in Quentin until she was finally let go. Yet when she comes back, I think it's a similar thing where she lost not all magic. She was able to, you know, kind of learn slowly. Although maybe she doesn't even have magic back yet at the end of the season because Mayakovsky was saying, like, it's like you're a little newborn, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. You have to get used to this body and all of that. And so she went from the ultimate magician yeah. as a Niffin understanding so much and losing so much of that, losing most of her knowledge and all of her ability to do magic. And now for her to try to reacquaint herself with what it means to be a human her, but obviously it's not going to be the same human her as before she was a Niffin. Yeah. So yeah, I just I just thought it was an interesting theme, and it'll be one that I'm looking forward to tracking as we continue on with everything else that will happen. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. What about you? What are some of the narrative threads you were really interested in this season? Yeah, one kind of came up in the last few episodes, and I, I've been thinking about a lot since I first saw the show asking the question, who is Fillory for? Mm. Because we are introduced to Fillory as part of these stories. And in that way, you know, before the knowledge that Fillory is real, the idea that Fillory was a creation for people, for humans, earthlings, Mm -hmm. children in particular. Yeah. And that Quentin feels an ownership of it in many ways. But then, of course, we find out that, yeah, Fillory is a real place. And Martin, their first major antagonist, is a person who has literally tried to take Fillory for himself. Mm -hmm. And that is a part of the large conflict, is that he has declared his ownership of it to such a, a extent that it is dangerous to those to other people and yeah it's it's just this kind of really problematic and toxic relationship with a feeling of ownership to a place that he is not from mm-hmm. and then we have the Florians themselves uh, and I think especially the conflicts that we see in Elliot's and Margot's stories wanting to rule well, but having to rule over a society that they are not a part of. They are children of Earth. So Ember and Umber made this rule that children of Earth would rule over it, making it almost seem like they created Fillory for these children as well, for these children of Earth, but populated it with many, many other creatures who call it home, and most of them have no 
relationship with the children of Earth, except for the few times that they are, yeah, ruling over it, putting themselves in as kings, queens, or dictators in Martin's case. And seeing the conflicts with the Foo Fighters and Mm -hmm. with even within the court in Castle Whitespire, and then the conflict with the Lorians over the Wellspring, uh, which in of its way is so thematically connected to what Fillory is, because, you know, the question of who is Fillory for could also expand to who is magic for, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which was certainly a theme in the first season with the Hedgewitches. And here we, you know, have questions of who is knowledge for with the library. Mm. And yeah, I think it just kind of expands out from there. Um, And the gods themselves, I think, add this extra level of Ember and Umber created Fillory. And now Ember believes that he can just destroy it because he's done with it. Mm -hmm. And Umber has given up with it because he's done with it. And Umber is just ready to create a new world. And in their perspective, the world just belongs to them or is only for them and what they want out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Umber said, you're not supposed to rule. You're supposed to entertain, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is what Fillory is for, for Ember, is entertainment. Yeah. Flights of fancy. <laughs> I think that that is probably, you know, when thinking through this question, my biggest criticism with this season is the fact that we don't see enough Felorian agency. Mm-hmm. That the way that the show is structured has it so that it's the children of Earth versus the gods. Or versus the Lorians. Or versus the Lorians, that's true, yeah. Or sometimes versus Felorians. You know, if there's mm-hmm. a civil war, if mm-hmm. there's the Foo Fighters. One, that's part of what they're scared of, right? At the end of the season. Mm-hmm. With Margot being like, we need martial law. Like... <laughs> You see little bits of it, but yeah, not a strong presence. Yeah, but it's always reports from, you know, of things that are happening off screen, you know, other than the Foo Fighter not having much of a character to show that, to, to address that. And yeah, we don't see any characters part of the plan to save Fillory from Ember. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we don't see any of them actually saving their land. And so even though, yeah, my anti-colonialist perspective like <laughs> wants to think of, well, Phil- Fillory is for Fillorians. Unfortunately, the show hasn't really made that claim mm-hmm. uh, or, 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 or kind of stepped up in that way. And yeah, I just, I find that a, a kind of compelling question that the show seems to be tackling in a in a way but i think doesn't come to a great conclusion on because mm-hmm. ultimately fillory is for the protagonists it's for the children of earth who go there to rule and make these huge world-changing decisions based off what they think is best and it has repercussions as we see which i appreciate that it has those repercussions, but because our focus is so much on their stories, those repercussions become, well, then how do we continue? Yeah. How do we continue our rule? Yeah. Yeah. No, that really makes a lot of sense. I think it would have been better if they had done more 
mm-hmm. but it will continue. Of course. And, like, the more we get with Fen, like, she's the primary representative mm-hmm. in the cast for Philorians. Sure, we have many others. Ray, Tick Pickwick, you know, you know, side, side, side characters. Mm-hmm. But there, there will be more of a trajectory over time, the important experiences or knowledge that comes with actually being from a place rather than uh, an outsider coming in to be in these really important positions of power. Totally, yeah. I'm just trying to to take the show on what it's presented so far on totally, all its own totally, terms. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just I'm just giving some hope for our listeners yes. <laughs> that it will. Yeah, well, and, and it's like what you said with your theme, you know, these are always things that I want to continue to keep an eye on as we go. Yeah. All right, well, let's head into our last segment, our character spotlight. So what characters journey through the season are you particularly interested in? Well, I mean, I'm interested in so many other I mean, of course. of course. But I think ones that... I noticed some new things about with this more careful analytical watch through are both Katie and Margot. Mm. I think Katie, the strength and commitment that she shows in the face of all of the really, really, really difficult things that she has to deal with, things that she's been through, things that she's continually going through. Yeah, I think she is such an important character to have there who is just trying constantly to fight for the right things to do on Earth. Mm -hmm. Because we have been spending so much time in Fillory, but literally that one time she went really quickly with Penny just to grab Julia... I believe that's the only time she goes to Fillory. Mm-hmm. And so she is the person, she is the earth person, you know, yeah. and one that cares so much about earth and hedge communities specifically. And obviously her friends, the, those she's invested in. And so, yeah, just paying a little more attention to her has really impressed me with, her strength, fortitude, perseverance, resilience, and ongoing struggle to help others, even in the face of her ongoing addiction Mm. and trauma with her mother's death. Before that, having to work for Marina uh, on through coercion and and threats of Mm. death. Then all of her friends who helped her, you know, not just go track down Marina to try to kill her, are murdered in front of her. You know, she's gone through so much. She's continually going through so much. Now this person that she loves is dying of cancer plus, you know. and, And she... She's constantly had her voice silenced. Her contributions stepped on Mm -hmm. yet she continues to fight for her agency and her voice so yeah i think she's great yeah absolutely and she has some of the most compelling relationships in the show too Mm. you know like obviously we see a lot of Quentin and Alice and you know things like that but i think that yeah katie and julia and katie and penny are 
both relationships that are really interesting and nuanced and have actual growth that we don't see from a lot of the other relationships. Um, I mean, obviously, Elliot and Margot are <laughs> amazing as well. The but Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. I think Katie's uh, definitely a character who can be sidelined, but also a character who grabs your attention so much, especially, mm. yeah, in this, this deeper watch through. Definitely, yeah. And the other person is Margot. Mm-hmm. Because... My first watch through of this of the show, I didn't like love Margot. You know, she she was hard for me. Her yep, <laughs> she makes a lot of rash decisions that are destructive. At the end of the season, wants to inflict martial law mm-hmm. on people. You know, is she she can be a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my second watch through, I liked her a lot more, and like I've continually liked her a lot more with every watch through but in this particular one as we're taking more time thinking about what her perspective is her point of view what she's going through has helped me understand her decisions better even Mm. though they're still decisions most of them are decisions I would not make myself But thinking about what she's feeling and what would I do in this circumstance, like how she is backed up against a wall in different ways or her opinions are minimized because she's the queen and not the king. And, you know, just seeing that she really is trying to do her best. She's putting her all into what she does even if what she does sometimes is wrong yeah. or unhealthy or unwise or violent, <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, thinking about why she's doing it. And I think oftentimes, not always, declaring war, that was just a vengeful, upset decision. Destructive. Yes. (laughs) But other decisions she makes, I think she often makes out of love for people, Mm. particularly Elliot. So yeah, I was just uh, thinking a lot more about her and it can be easy to look to the characters who are making decisions that align better with your values. (laughs) But trying to, you know, have understanding for, uh, or even maybe the temptation that you would have to make some of these decisions, even if you would ultimately say no for whatever reasons, she says yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And having to, even for myself, step back from the judgment I have on some of her actions, because it's like, no, I would be tempted to manipulate the situation to make this fairy deal too yeah uh even if i wouldn't make that choice that temptation if that temptation is there then you know looking down on someone for actually making that decision when it's a lot easier to think about making the decision when you're not actually making the decision and you're removed from it versus like you're not you're trying to save your best friends you know time's running out Mm -hmm. magic is in danger and not just your best friend but all of fillery you know so it's just like yeah thinking about a lot of the complications of her decisions and those being layered instead of just even though she makes some decisions very quickly or rashly Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean there aren't like layers of 
reasons why she's making the decision she's making. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and, I've grown to appreciate her even more than before. And I before. think the show has done a great job of, like, building her character in a way that we can see those layers, even if they're not even explicitly laid out. Mm-hmm. But we just know from her characterization and the ways that she has encountered problems in the past, big and small, yeah, how how she dealt with the Margolem says a lot about her relationship with Elliot and her views on respect for herself and, and you know all these other kinds of things that help to then let us read her reactions, her decisions in ways that are, yeah, much deeper than they might seem off first glance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's the character you want to shine a light on? Yeah, I want to talk about Quentin because this slow watch through has really made it clear the extent to which he is going through these cycles of depression and basically putting himself on a quest in order to try to change the circumstances to to address maybe one aspect of his depression or of his self-hate or of his guilt but then floundering once the end of that cycle doesn't turn out exactly how he wanted it to or even if it does turn out well um you know not actually growing in uh, any important ways mm. because the season begins with them having to deal with Martin and you know two things happen in that section one he talks with Julia and doesn't take her concerns about Reynard seriously mm-hmm. he even though he claims to be sympathetic he still doesn't recognize that she has a legitimate goal as well. Yeah. But he's only worried about the one that he sees as the greater threat to himself, essentially. And then he also has his final conversations with Alice, where, as we talked about in that episode, he discusses how he is going to earn her trust back Mm -hmm. and how he's going to fix their relationship, basically. And he puts her in an emotional situation that she's not prepared or willing to be in at the time. And he's entirely focused, yeah, on this wishful thinking, these quests he puts on in front of himself and doesn't actually deal with the reality around him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I think it's really interesting in the first magician's book after the threesome and you know the cheating that quentin does alice is having a conversation with quentin and mm-hmm. i think some of what she says is like really poignant <laughs> for what you were talking about she says even if this whole thing came off without a hitch you wouldn't be happy you gave up on brooklyn and on break bills and i fully expect you to give up on fillery when the time comes it makes things very simple for you doesn't it well and of course you were always going to give up on us we had problems but we could have fixed them but that was too easy for you it might have actually worked and then where would you be you would be stuck with me forever and then later she says If you will, for just one second, look at your life and see how perfect it is. Stop looking for the next secret door that is going to lead you to your real life. Stop waiting. This is it. There's nothing else. 
it's here and you'd better decide to enjoy it or you're going to be miserable wherever you go for the rest of your life forever. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty strong, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And that is very much what we see with him in the show too. Yeah. Looking for those secret doors to his real life. And mm-hmm. he says repeatedly that Fillory was always that, always what he imagined that was going to be. Mm-hmm. And then he becomes a king of Fillory and does nothing with it. <laughs> yeah. He spends all this time in Fillory either, yeah, searching for a magical solution to his problems. You know, the white lady will bring Alice back to life. You or won't, then I guess I'll just go home exactly. and give or up trying the magic. to escape it by, mm-hmm. yeah, either using magic or alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a three-month-long bender. Because, yeah, first he wants to save Alice, who he thinks is haunting him. And then there's the Niffin Alice, and he's trying to figure out what to do there, and he won't decide. And then there's finally coming to help Julia after months and months of her continuing to fight the same battles that he's known she's fighting. But all of it is just, yeah, distractions. It's all just something in front of him now that he wants to do a certain way because it's part of the story that he tells himself. And he's so obsessed with those stories. The story of him being the main character, him being a good guy, him being special, and Fillory being special. And he just throughout this season never breaks out of those things. Mm. You know, it's really interesting because the end of last season was him trying to break out of it by giving the knife to Alice and having mm-hmm. her be the chosen one that he chooses or what have <laughs> you. Um, of course, you find out that he's done that a bunch of times in the past as well. Which, which is good. Yeah. Right? He, he realized I'm not the person to do this. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. But I guess we see almost a regression from that in the second season mm. because he doesn't take that lesson and really sit with it because he's too focused on wallowing in his grief or his self-pity or his frustrations than to try to do something more with his power. You know, the fact that he's a king and... uh Yeah, it's just, um, I think this slow watch has made me not only see those cycles more, but also just made me much more critical of Quentin. Because I think in my first watch through, I I empathize with him so much that I Mm. gave him a lot of passes, which is what we do with protagonists so often. And that's why I think he actually is a well-written, problematic protagonist. (laughs) Totally. uh, Mm. Because he really highlights how these things are destructive and toxic. And yeah, just the slow watch through, I think, has helped me to see those things that I can only assume are intentions because it's so clear how problematic all this is that the, the creators of the show are, are doing. So yeah, I find it, I find it really, really uh, interesting to look back on. And he's a character who, you know, I have the opposite experience than you probably have with Margot, where even though I do see him more deeply... I like him less. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's a really interesting one because Jason Roth does such a good job with Absolutely. him. It just makes him likable in a way. He's funny, awkward, you know, all of the things. 
But then when you see like the motivation for some of his actions or how problematic some of his actions are, it makes it much more complicated. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's good that he can be so funny and charming (laughs) because otherwise it would just be really frustrating to watch Absolutely. not that it's not frustrating but you know like it would the, he would have no redeeming <laughs> qualities but he does right and that's what makes him more complicated being willing to sacrifice yourself for others even when you have like a problematic hero complex it, there's still sacrifice involved totally. you know so it's not only bad and I think it's, yeah, it's also important because people who have for over two decades operated in this certain way don't just get out of those problematic cycles in a year Mm -hmm. or two. So the fact that we're continually seeing them and we're continuing, and the, the fact that his own dyslamia is like, the foundation of those actions and attitudes is important because it's a continuous thing and it's a continuous thing that he has to battle and he's not doing it great so far now but yeah it'll be interesting to continue on because similarly you know i would get frustrated with quentin on certain things but i wasn't looking quite as critically at him as i am this watch through so it'll be interesting to continue to see if he actually ever gets out of those patterns i think in one instance i might say that he does but i'm not sure so yeah it'll be really fascinating because those types of issues are really difficult to overcome. And especially when you don't have the support of medications Mm -hmm. that you need, you know, you need to be able to even get to anywhere close to the level of functioning that somebody who doesn't have the same chemical imbalances would be able to. I mean, I need to be on antidepressants. Mm-hmm. Like, it's something that I need. I've done some genetic testing, and we know that my genes don't work for how how they're supposed to, how it would be great for them to, uh, with dopamine and serotonin, you know, and different things. And so it's like, I absolutely need this to even get to a level of okay, where I can function. Uh, and so... He needs that, too, and he's not doing it, and Mm -hmm. he's using adventures as his answer to his depression, which, especially when so many adventures end in bloodshed and trauma in the show, uh, that's that's not going to help. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) So I can have both sympathy and resentment (laughs) for him at the same time. Of course, yeah. 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 Well, I'm going to stop there before I start looking inward (laughs) in comparison to to Quentin. Uh... (laughs) I'm going to be Quentin and not look inward. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But that is actually going to wrap up this discussion. So what is happening next time on The Magicians? So we're going to be starting season three with episode one. The Tales of the Seven Keys. 
where Quentin is able to jump into yet another adventure, but a very fun adventure, if I do say so myself. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't really work in this case because I didn't have anything to do with these adventures, but it'll be an adventure for the audience, if I do say so myself. Certainly. (laughs) And for Chris to avoid looking inside. (laughs) (laughs) My constant adventure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, our social media, or our Patreon in the episode description. We hope that you'll join us on Patreon so that you can participate in all of our extra content and our monthly meetups where we talk about the series. We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then... Geek out.